This is The Real Good Podcast. My name is John Roebuck. And with me is Blake Soya Latte, Curtis. That is actually my middle name. <laughs> and Derek, goodbye and good luck, uh, Armstrong. Why are we saying goodbye and good luck, John? We'll get to that, Derek. Okay. What's your middle name? This, you a middle name? My middle name is... Hasta la vista. Yeah. <laughs> and this episode <laughs> is called... This episode is called The Cat, the Cradle and the Silver Derek and Blake. <laughs> and that's because this is my final podcast oh. on The Real Good Podcast. No! From now what? on. I'm just learning about this now. The, from now on, this podcast is in the hands, the capable of hands of uh, two of my best friends, Derek and Blakey. And uh, Let's not start crying just yet. Too late. I've been crying all day. <laughs> Uh, but it's been uh, mingled in with the sweat because it's been 44 degrees today. Yeah, in, it's miserable. Uh, in but I'm still, where wearing, where a, I'm still wearing a Santa hat regardless. Yes. Dedication to the cause, baby. <laughs> He's a dedicated man. Yeah. You could you could use some of that, Blakey. Yeah, yeah. so I'm pretty flaky. John, you're just too Blakey, busy. Blakey, Blakey. Uh, but yeah we, yeah, we should, you know, thank you, Rono, for uh, creating such a beautiful thing that we've been doing for years. And, you know, it's not... It's not uh, every day that you get to talk to f- about films like this, and it was the birth child of John's. And thank you so much for among many us birth childs. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not only the last podcast of 2019 or the last podcast of the decade; it's the last podcast of an era. Yeah. It actually it was an immaculate conception, though. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to qu- talk quickly about Star Wars, and then we're going to give our top five for the year and our bottom one for the year. Uh, and Can I give a bottom 37 for the year? The fucked up thing is, Derek, I know you'd remember every single one. Well, I would actually like year, to acknowledge for one last time Derek's ability to retain information. It's nuts. Mm. Well, now, well with thank you. The information, though, I don't think we've tested it for like other information. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. Like, like what I had for lunch what today? El- what, else you, what else do you know? Well, I had souvlaki for lunch today. What? Everyone knows that. what I had lunch today. <laughs> what did you have for lunch in 1987? Oh, probably peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I, of course, you would call it a peanut butter and jam sandwich, but I'm American. I call so. shit what I like, Derek. You don't <laughs> tell me what I call shit. Until the end of this recording, I'm still the boss here. Yeah. So John's going to have some airing of grievances this is, on this This is going to be like... Is this Festivus? This is Festivus. Uh, this, this is sort of a bit like, you know, heavy uh, or uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. <laughs> Often misquoted as heavy lies the crown. Now, that we were just talking about Shakespeare a moment ago, Derek. What, what Shakespeare me, play is that from? True. Uneasy is the head that lies the crown. Richard the Third. Do you know, I actually don't know. No, I, don't I just know. like the quote. <laughs> uh, so we'll see if if you guys can uh, co-mingle as uh, equal runners of the podcast, Ooh, or if 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 one of you will step up and it's you know. Uh, I thought we were equal now, and you were just saying like. No, 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 no. Yes, yes. I want Blake to be the tech guy. I want Blake to be the tech guy. Can you be the tech guy, Blake, at the very least? Well, I don't know <laughs> if I can handle that. My final question before we get into our top five yes. is, will you replace me or will it be a uh, two-man podcast? We've got, a, we've got a robot. You're out of it now, so you don't get... You don't I don't. I'm. I'm looking. Kind of I'm asking as a fan, uh, 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 as you would ask. Uh, uh, hey, well, as you might have asked before, Rise of Skywalker came out. 
oh, who are Ray's parents because you're excited about it yeah. and then you found out that movie sucked. Yeah. So I'm excited <laughs> to know uh, future plans. Are there any or, or are the plans going to um, come into fruition after this? Well, look, I think we're going to sit down and have a chat about it. Yep. Stan I'm gonna, words. I'm going to head it in a different direction, you know. Like yes. I was thinking we would talk more about cupboards than we would. Oh, and, 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 your two, and your co-host will be, will be Octopi. Yes. Yes. It's, it's as long as cupboards are being <laughs> no, uh, we were, spoken about. We were suggesting that potentially we might get a, a female involved. I think that was our... We had a female once. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. she's Zoe? even listening. Yeah, who knows. Uh, we had... A, uh, she's a quiet, like, quiet observer She's in, in our, a quiet in taste, our, Zoe. She's like, <laughs> a, she's like in Timbuktu now or something, no, isn't she's, she? She's in our group, in our, you know, Facebook... You know, podcast group, and she never says anything, but I'm always aware yeah. she's there. She Silent lurks. party. She's, she's so, quick shout out to Zoe Coldham, yeah. and also we'd like to shout out Tom Sheehan, yeah. who uh, was the the Derek of the original podcast, Washing Machine, Washing Machine on Facebook. Who was Everyone both Zoe, both fantastic. Zoe and uh, Sheehan, very close friends of ours. And uh, for my final class, I'd like to uh, say thank you to those two as well. Now. Top five? Well, no. I th- weren't we gonna? Weren't we gonna have a little chat uh, about yeah, 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 yeah. About Star Wars: The Rise? Star Wars for three, Let's for three minutes shit. and forty-eight seconds. Okay. Yes. Then, if so you're let's so do a spoiler alert. Okay. Keen to talk about Star Wars. Derek. Spoiler alert. Don't spoiler alert. Don't listen if you if you've watched Star Wars. If you wait, don't listen if you have watched Star Wars. But wait, I think no, that doesn't make any you shouldn't sense. listen. Like, I, <laughs> and also, don't do watch Star Wars. Alerts, but I always think, what's the point of doing them? Because you really shouldn't be listening to the podcast. If you haven't seen but tonight's but episode, is, they won't know which, which which movies yeah, we're going to be talking about. Uh, this is going to yeah. go up as like something, you know, not, uh, un-Star Wars yeah, related. True. All right, Derek. Trojan Horse. Take us away. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, everything that everything that happened in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, was kind of something I was expecting to happen and was kind of satisfying. But overall, the impression I had was something that it was a little bit less than. And I know that that's probably the most favorable impression in this room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Blakey, uh, before I... Uh well, I think, because I saw it with John, and yeah. he, John made a really good comment, because I was saying it was really interesting to see, like, that J.J. Abrams did one thing in the, in the first of these trilogies, and then Ryan Johnson came in and did something completely different, and then the third one, like... JJ has gone back to what JJ wanted to do. So, like, Ron and I so were So petty. Oh, well, <laughs> it's the truth. And do you know like the thing is? this film was just them being, like, in the, sec- the last film, they were like, oh, you know, Ray's parents are no one. And this one, like, yes, they are. And, and They're do you everyone. Know, do, do you know the <laughs> thing is? Do you know the thing did. is? As, as much as I understand people's frustration that Ryan Johnson uh, sort of negated a lot of what J.J. Uh, um, uh, Abrams established, I respected Ryan Johnson for doing that because J.J. literally was just... I felt like The Force Awakens was like someone telling you all the reasons they love Star Wars for two and a half hours without actually conveying why they love Star Wars. And he actually didn't make a good movie. Mm. And so um, Jay, uh, Ryan wanted to do something new, which I think was what Star Wars needed. So I understand yeah. why people were frustrated with Ryan Johnson's decisions. But I, I appreciate evil. the fact that he actually tried to move things forward in uh, a, a broader sense. And I think... J.J. Abrams really is entirely guilty of this petulant regression because once Ryan Johnson had negated everything J.J. Abrams did, J.J. Abrams had to accept that for for narrative progression. And essentially what he's done is completely rejected everything Ryan Johnson's done, so it's on a 180 again. And we're back to the same place that we ended at with The Force Awakens. Which is what John said really well after the movie. He's just like, J.J.'s like, oh, we're heading in this direction. And then Ryan Johnson was like, no, we're heading in this direction. And then JJ was like, "No, we're heading in this direction." So, so we just 
went nowhere. Yeah, so there's some instances where that worked for me. Like, I didn't mind them putting together back together Kylo Ren's mask because I think it's a really cool mask and I like how his voice sounds my, in the mask. Me too, but Ugh. my problem with that is there's actually no need for his mask. And, and I, no. I, I agree. Well, I think his he mask looks cool is great. <laughs> but, but, like, literally all you need is one line where you're like, this is why he needs the mask. Because yeah. now he just looks like a doofus who's putting on a mask to seem cool, which... I mean, maybe he is, and maybe that's what his character is, but it doesn't add, like, to... Because, because every every kind of... Uh, 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 his coolness when he wears the mask is sort of negated by the fact that he doesn't actually need it. So the fact that he's wearing it is so, stupid. Right, well, that's true, and also the, 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 the thing is Adam Driver is such a good actor that oh. you really want to see his face in those scenes. So... I think that struck a decent balance. Like, for the first third of the film, Kylo Ren mostly had his mask on, and then after that, he basically didn't. So the other counter to that, I was going to say, I didn't mind that. The thing that I thought was really kind of egregious about this film was the way that Rose Tico was completely sidelined. Jar Jar and, Binks. And made it to Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Everyone, not even Rose. Yeah. What was the little orange alien in, from the first one? Oh, the droid? Oh, no, 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 Maz Kanata. Oh, yeah. She never... Oh, butthole eyes. R2-D2 was irrelevant, and they're busy introducing new robots. Like, well, that's the thing. The whole premise of yeah. this, every time they introduce a new character, was just like... We're just making a new action figure. We're just getting more money in the and bank. And do you know, and like, do you know what's nuts? Uh, like, that's why it felt a bit petulant from J.J. Abrams because as opposed to like, okay, he didn't lie Rose, like Rose Tico, but instead of trying to figure out a way Rose Tico could work in his universe, he added the character of uh, the, the woman is, on yeah. the, the horse yeah. Yeah. and um, K- Kerry uh, Russell's character yes. with the mask. And they did nothing. And what was really nuts about those two... action figures. But also, so there's been all these theories about Poe and Finn being in a relationship, and those two characters almost felt like a no-homo kind of thing from the filmmakers to prove that, like, these two weren't together. Mm. And Mm. they did nothing. And it's just like, like, why are you wasting time? Mm. They went to so many places, though. They went to yeah. so many places. And like, like, what even were those characters? Mm. They were t- like, J.J. Abrams, he's... Do you know, I feel like almost bad about saying this because he actually seems like a really lovely dude. <laughs> but he, like, when he's completely misinterpreted pub. Star Trek and made two bad Star Trek movies. Yeah. Super 8 was an absolute piece of trash. And again, that is like someone telling you why they love Steven Spielberg. And he was so obsessed with making a Steven Spielberg-esque movie, he forgot to make a good movie. And now, The Force Awakens, I know people out there love it, I don't, but, and Rise of Skywalker, that guy hasn't made a good movie since MI3, and that movie was pretty so, good. Let so, it be like, noted and he's been handed these fucking franchises. Oh, let it be noted, though, like, uh, we often on this podcast talk about the director and the director's vision, but like, I think a lot of the time there are a lot of studio forces coming in hard. Like, really, like, you know, saying this is what needs to happen in this film. And they're really, I can imagine, like, they're really hard to push against. Like, even making films for corporations in Melbourne is tough being a filmmaker, trying to convince those corporations not to make it too complex. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if you're the head of Star Wars. Like, that's tough. The thing that particularly bothered me about the Rose Tico thing was that wrote that the actress who plays that Kelly Marie Tran was forced off of social media because she got so much crap because people didn't like uh, Rose Tico. So J.J. Abrams actually had the opportunity to say, no, this is an important character in this franchise. I'm going to give her a major storyline. Instead, he said, nope, trolls, you win. We're we're just going to jar jar her. And that was really a shame. And like (laughs) as soon as like J.J. seems to have made this film for one type of fan. And it's those fans that like 
say we want a Han Solo solo like an origin movie and we want this and I think the greatest blockbusters were not born out of what like they weren't dictated by what fans wanted yeah. the Empire Strikes Back was not dictated by what fans want and say what you want about George Lucas but he didn't write or direct Jedi and his pre so, and they they're amazing and the prequels that is a good story yeah. with great ideas and it suffered because he wrote and directed them and J.J. Abrams, with his new trilogy, has just tried to recreate the original trilogy and completely just push George Lucas aside, try to do this fan service, and they're just nothing movies. Like, this is the the final nail in the Star Wars coffin. So I I want to say a couple positive things just just because I think there are some positive things. I don't think there is. I love the first 20 minutes of it. I thought it was a great opening scene where Kylo rips through all those people and gets his, his... Pyramid and then goes and finds uh, the Emperor. J.J. Abrams' mystery box. But, but anyway, okay. So yeah, and the mystery box and the mystery <laughs> dagger. There's a lo- there were a lot of um, MacGuffins in the film, but I liked that. I was I liked the 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 Millennium Falcon sliding into that box and getting the the spy data oh, and then yeah, escaping yeah. the Tie Fighters. I thought those were two really promising opening scenes, and I laughed during the 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 chess scene where they're both waiting for Chewbacca yeah. to move. And I also really liked the fact that at the very end we get to see. That Ben Solo is Han Solo's son because he's awesome with a blaster. I liked. I really liked that scene oh, yeah. when he goes to the uh, to the Excelsior or whatever it was called mm-hmm. and shoots shoots somebody who's behind him without even looking at it. And I thought that's great. He's also Han Solo's son. I love well, it. Well, Adam Driver <laughs> is is great in it, a- a- and you feel bad for him watching how much he's putting into this movie in like little uh, almost mannerisms when when he's surrounded by another just completely useless plot thing that J.J. Abrams has tried to bring the Knights of Ren. He gets the lightsaber from Ray, and he does this kind of motion, uh, which sort of suggests, you know, game on, I've got a lightsaber now. And that was all his performance. And he's mm. bringing stuff to the table that, I mean, he, he deserves better than these movies because yeah. he is great in it. And what the last rant is, interestingly enough, I didn't think he was that good with the mask off in The Force Awakens. And he massively has stepped up in The Last Jedi mm-hmm. and uh, Rise of Skywalker. And he was the only thing I liked about this one. And I didn't like any of these films. And this will be my last point before we move into my top five after you guys say your last point about yeah. this. I didn't like any of these films, but out of all three, honestly, as flawed as it is, The Last Jedi is, yeah. uh, you know, the most interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's got the most going for it. Yeah, yeah, I hundred percent. That's agree. fair. Final I mean, thoughts on Rise of Skywalker, Blakey? Ah, uh, look, I, I shadow everything that John says. I, don't, I I can't actually think of many re- redeeming factors in this film. You know, for me, the only one you know you talk about the ones that you like. The only scene I really liked was when. Um, Poe first comes down at, st- at the start and sees Ray for the first time and they have that conversation where they're talking over the top of each other. Mm. And I was like, great. Yeah. And what I liked about that it was just what, yeah. some good yeah. actors just going just mm-hmm. going for it. Yeah. And I was like, sweet, let's explore that. And then when they were going on a mission together, I was like, great, because this is the first time they've never been together. No, that's right. And they just didn't explore it. They just they were too busy with the external stuff to look at the in- internal, like, situations that were going on with the characters which was really in the original star wars which was good you know yeah. there was tension between Leia and han there was tension between luke and han there was it was all there and none of that was present in this so it just didn't feel real it's pathetic uh, filmmaking on just such a huge scale sorry uh, and though, yeah, though, though i liked last it thoughts. better than you guys because I'm, I'm an apologist for the franchise i did have a number of complaints one of them one of which was that they were constantly reversing the apparently big things that were happening so you think chewbacca's dead Oh no, he just didn't happen to be on that ship. 
You think that the, you know, Carrie Russell's character blew up on the planet? No, nope, she wasn't on the planet at the time. You think that C-3PO's memory is lost? No, nope, we'll just restore it from R2's backup. It was base. It was. It, it wasn't courageous. And Ryan Johnson's was courageous. And um, I don't love the Last Jedi, but it probably does come out better than this for me. Okay, before we get into two more Randy stuff, let's move on to our top. Yeah, top five. five. Now, who would like to go first? Well, should we explain the top five? Top five of the year. <laughs> this kidding. is our top five of the year. I'll start with a with a little prelude, though, that I think that this was a really not a great year for film. I, I think. Yep. Um, I, I'll say that, that this may be a little bit of a spoiler alert, but there's been nothing that's entered in my top five for several months now. Um, so these are all choices that I saw some well, time ago. Before you say that, I'm interested to hear that because until yeah. about two weeks ago, there were, or two or three weeks ago. Like uh, I saw uh, pretty much my uh, yeah two of my top five in the last two weeks. Yeah, well, I, and I think that those may be filmed. I know which I think I know which films those are, and I think they, at least either. one of them is one I haven't seen yet. But um, do you want me to go first? Is that yeah. is that what you were suggesting? All right. Well, I will start no, with my number five. <laughs> number five. Number five. Number um, five. Banana. A documentary. A documentary makes it into my uh, my top five. I'm really pl- pleased to see that. It's a documentary called Hail Satan. I don't know if you guys saw it. It's directed by someone whose name can't be real. Who's she's? Uh, her name is Penny Lane, um, <laughs> and it is a look at Satanism, which you be, might be surprised to learn looks a lot like liberal lowercase L politics. You know, like progressive politics. It's basically anti-organized religion and anti, you know, repression of of rights and you know the the, the people who characterize themselves as Satanists in this film who, you know, kind of do some of the political actions in the film in the U.S. against, uh, you know, things like the Ten Commandments appearing on government property. They look like uh, guys who played Dungeons and Dragons when they were growing up. They look like goth girls. You know, they look, they're, they're, def- they're in the progressive camp, but they're not cutting heads off of animals and drinking their blood, like what is what you think of Satanism. And they talk, the film talks about the satanic panic of the 1980s when everyone thought that there were encoded lyrics in, in heavy metal albums that were telling people to kill, kill, you know, kill animals or kill each other. Um, and, it, and it's basically, this is a group of people, many of whom are masking their identities, who are trying to bring about personal liberties for, other, for, for fellow man, men, it's, uh, for men and women. It's like a live and let live type thing, but also extremely positive in its in its in its tenets like it has i think there are seven tenets to satanism and they're all just like logical common sense ways to treat people and i was actually moved by the end of the film like that these people commit their lives to this thing where did you say it I, it was playing at cinema nova for a while yeah oh, yeah, so yeah it's, it's coming yeah yeah. Oh, yeah i didn't even know about it and it's and it basically these people are just um you know they just try to bring out the good in the world under this na- this label of satanism because Satan, as the original, as he was originally conceived, was was a God's fallen angel, like someone who who di- who refused to obey the laws of oh, God. Can I just tell you when he quickly. thought that God was a, an autocrat? You know, so, so Ella, my wife, or anyone playing at home, her nan died, and they found a copy of John Milton's Paradise Lost from 1732. Wow, how nuts <laughs> is that? So the Paradise Lost is about how Lucifer, yeah. the angel, yeah, fell to thingo. Uh, hey, anyway, Thanks. Um, sorry, sorry. Continue. That's. Uh, I'm trying to find my newly opened know. beer. Excuse me, I didn't mean to. I opened it for you. Pay anyway, attention. Thank you very much, yeah. and sorry for the distraction. So anyway, that's my number five. You guys should see it. And your five, Blakey. Uh, I'm, you know, reflect that sentiment. Like in, in that my fifth one is probably only an eight out of ten. You know, in the overall factor of things, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, uh, I loved it. Oh, really. <laughs> 
I really enjoyed it. Um, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I must be a gearhead. You know, I have just figured this out. With I thought it was possible with Rush and Senna and I've shit like known. that, but. Yeah, this kind of confirms the kill. It's I just really, really excellent it. filmmaking, well, what's, isn't what's, it? What wonderful it's about good. those three films you just mentioned is that, yeah, w- not, none of us are into cars and a great movie can make you interested in shit you're not interested yes. in. And Rush, Senna and Ford vs. Ferrari, I still don't care about cars, yeah. but those movies... So you, you saw Ford vs. Ferrari. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I, did, yeah. I thought the other... Rush and Senna I liked more, but Me I did too. like Ford vs. Ferrari. I think yeah. I'm the other one way around. Yeah. One of my qualms that I must... Like and uh, this has been a crime of mine for a while. Has been when people are doing autobiographical films. A lot of the time, they put they have creative license to put whatever scenes they want in there. Um, and again, this happened in this film. So in yeah. Ford versus Ferrari, when Christian Bale misses out on the first race because he has to stay home, he wasn't picked. Right. He actually went to that race in real in real time. Okay. Yep. And that um, the the situation where they all cross the line that was not some kind of uh, you know, master plan by Ford. Ford were actually the ones who were angry <coughs> that he wasn't given the crown because they wanted the triple threat thing. Yeah. Obviously, they need it for filmmaking, but it kind of does a disservice slightly, I think, to the na- the human nature of the film because it's not real. And well, it happens all the time. Totally. It in the Churchill so Why film, make the last a hour? movie about a subject if you don't think the story of that subject is interesting exactly. enough? Exactly. And that's why the movie, Zod- we've talked about this before, Zodiac's so great because apparently it's just, you know, very accurate. I mean, they might they might have taken liberties. But, you know, make up for things that you think are deficient in the natural story by your filmmaking yeah. because you can make yeah. nothing interesting with Correct. films. But yeah. it also, it's like, you, I feel like you have to, as a filmmaker, you need to do better than be like if I'm telling a factual story totally. from history yeah. I need to tell it factually Definitely. I don't have any right yep. to kind of tell it narratively Yep. and so that was my big issue with this and also that the good guys in this film were too good um, okay. I wanted to see more grit from and it was like Bale. David versus I wanted to see more from this yeah, his son was too polished like. and it was like David versus Goliath but then you're like Wait a second! It's like the best, uh, you know, manufacturer in the world versus yeah. the richest manufacturer in the world, right. and it was almost sort of the other way around because yeah. Ford just sh- like shoved money into it, and then they won for the next four years. Yeah, I found right. out. Yep. So it's really not David versus Goliath. It's like David, you know, chips away with this like ingenuity, and then Goliath just goes. Yeah, but it was uh, in saying that the film was really good, and yep. it's it's incredible. Like. I think the thing that really draws me to car racing and this film as well is... And always has. (laughs) Is that they are willing to push the envelope and explore new kind of technology and new heights. And I'm a big fan of exploration within human society, like really pushing the boundaries of of new ideas, which is kind of what they were doing with this. And like those racing scenes are really exciting too. My number five is Crawl. What? The alligator movie. <laughs> I fucking oh, love it. I, I was like, I was hearing Krull, like that movie K R U L L from the 1980s. <laughs> yep. This is 1980s. <laughs> yes. So I went to, uh, this will be one of the few ones that I actually do talk about because I don't really like going into too much detail. Um, I went to the Coburg drive in for the first time ever, and Krull is the just quintessential drive in movie. Sure. It was directed by, oh God, what else? Oh, High uh-huh. Tension. Yeah. Yeah. And. It was, just, it was just exactly what I should have seen at the drive-in. Yeah. And I went with Aller at like 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. And it was just incredibly entertaining. And there may be better movies out this year. But as an experience, as a movie-going experience, that was one of my favourite movie-going experiences I've ever had. 
You can't uh, you can't discount experience. Totally. It's, it's, if you if you see a film in a packed theater, it makes you know a seven into a uh, nine sometimes. You know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think enjoy- it's tied into the driving. Hey, do you think it was tied into the? Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like it, it was like you want to see a movie like Crawl at the drive-in, and it wasn't even like this is shit, but it's a good drive-in movie. It was so entertaining from start to finish. Like I would have if like if it was shitter than it was, it still would have been the movie I'd want to see at a drive-in. But it was just so entertaining, and I was just like, I'm seeing a fucking alligator like monster <laughs> movie at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night with my wife. Just like we've got like hot dogs from the drive-in place. Yeah. Like, love that, cool. that guy's and that guy's good uh, on a basic yeah. technical level. Yeah. He really yeah. he sets up the camera in really uh, uh, engaging ways, and he's he's a really yeah. talented filmmaker. I had an absolute yeah. blast with Crawl, yeah. and. Oh, I shouldn't say this because I actually don't generally uh, agree with Quentin Tarantino's top three when he re- like says them every year. But Crawl made, I think, uh, Tarantino's at least top five or Did something. It? Yeah. Okay. The, I remember seeing Men in Black at the drive-in and I remember one of the aliens exploding and you could hear the car oh. next to us go, <laughs> this is the driving's awesome. Yeah. Get number four. Number four. Okay, so my number four is... You know what? What? Uno Reverse. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. All right. Card. All right. There Thanks, you go. My la- I'm feeling, four, I'm feeling uh, <laughs> sassy. That's all right. Uh, my number four is, again, flawed, a flawed film, eight out of ten, but... Is flawed versus Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> but I think probably the sad, one of the saddest films I have ever seen in Judy. Uh, oh, which I is seen it. the I didn't see auto it. autobiography, like the story of Judy Garland. Um, last year or something. Last right? year yeah. of her life. Yeah, and it is so incredibly sad. Mm. To like, and that was what I kept thinking as I was watching this film. I was like this, like this actually happened to someone, and not just. Uh, like someone I didn't know, like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. She had an aw- like a really she tough had life, a yeah. Really there, awful life. There was a biopic of her with who is the Australian actress? Oh, this is gonna kill me. She was portrayed by an Australian actress called uh, kills me. Anyway, and yeah, I, I watched Curtis. it years ago. <laughs> she had a really tough life, Judy. Oh, Garland. So yeah. yeah, like this. This film is so. It's so incredible because every scene, it kind of suggests to you that it's going to go to really dark places and then it kind of never does. It kind of gets you there. It lets your imagination do the work, mm, which yeah. a lot of the, in today's time is really incredible when the, the filmmakers still let your imagination do the work and that you think something bad's going to happen and then they just draw you back. And so you just have to sit in this terrible feeling mm. of dread. And you, you haven't seen it, Derek? No, I haven't seen oh, it. Who played the main character in my brilliant career? Uh, Judy Davis. Davis. She played um, Judy Garland, uh, Judy Garland yeah. in a biopic, like like a TV biopic years ago. That was also really good. Yeah. Check Derek? it out. I'm pretty sure Renee Zellweger will probably win the Oscar. For yeah, it sounds oh, like it's good it. to see her back too. She yeah. she's been away for a while. Yeah, I like that though. Yeah, uh, my number four is uh, "Her Smell" by Alex Ross Perry. I don't know if you saw that or even know about Creepy it. Creepy old hey. man, Derek. <laughs> So it's a film about um, made by Derek about a girly. <laughs> My favorite ever is her smell. <laughs> <laughs> the, the title the title is never fully explained, and it and it, it does certainly invites certain um, thoughts to it. But it's a film ab- that stars um, Elizabeth Moss as the lead singer in a band called Something She, and that band she's her character's name is Becky Something, and that char- that band is based on Hole more or less. And so her she's basically a, an absolute train wreck. She is an extremely talented kind of artist. Who who came 
you know came to prominence in the late 90s type type thing um and she's got a couple and her bandmates include cara delavine and um agnes agnes i can't remember her her last name but it's basically this same kind of intense character study as we got in Perry's film Queen of Earth. I'm not sure if you saw that, which also starred Moss. And the, the kind of thing that Cassavetes was doing years ago with a uh, woman on the verge. Um, mm, a nervous breakdown? No, no, no that's, that's um, Almodovar. It, uh, a woman under the influence, that's excuse right. me. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, where where um, his wife was, was you know this kind of essentially crazy person who just alienates everyone around her but is talented so they stay in touch with her and it's a bunch of scenes kind of backstage scenes about this band on their comeback tour and Elizabeth Moss is just a tour de force she can play crazy and fucked up like nobody's business and uh, I don't want to spoil anything but it doesn't end as negatively as that but it's really enthralling and there's this the sound design has this kind of dull kind of rumbling sound in the background that occasionally has pierces of, of higher pitched noises, which kind of indicates this like crazy soundtrack that's going on in her mind as these sp events in her life spin out of control. And I just thought it was a really, really intense and personal film that really showcased some amazing actor acting by her. And it just really stuck with me. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never watch it. Have you it. seen any of Perry's films? No. Okay. He also directed, um, uh, now I'm on the spot. I'm going to forget them all. Um, Mr. Anyway, Retention uh, No, uh, uh, I'm moving along attention. The Color Wheel was one of them But anyway yeah. My number four is Marriage Story It may pop on maybe some of yours I'll keep it brief uh, I'm not a huge fan of Noah Baumbach normally Although I haven't actually seen The Squid in a while And what I really enjoyed about this film Firstly, I think it's a really um, rare film That can mix uh, humour and pathos uh, um, So coherently uh, Without like abrasively switching from one yeah. to the other. Mm. And uh, this felt like a guide doing like a greatest hits of some great filmmakers. Like it reminded me of Bergman. Mm -hmm. And like, I think those references, like, I mean, there was a scene where you saw a poster from them doing a play version of scenes, Bergman's scenes for a marriage. And um, he said that his uh, visual uh, um, uh, guide a lot of the time was persona, Bergman's persona. And also Woody Allen, I know he's done some awful things, but you know, he has made some great films. And there's another filmmaker it reminded me of that I can't remember, but also Parenthood, which I think was like um, uh, almost enhanced by the fact yeah. that Randy Newman did the uh, music to both. And Parenthood, as you guys know, is one of my favourite films. Oh, I thought the music was a little bit oppressive in Marriage Story, actually. You, okay. you really liked yeah. it? I didn't even, I okay. can't even uh, but, tell but, you what it was. But yeah, like, to me, I felt like it was this guy... Uh, who wore like okay JJ Abrams and Rise this uh, Skywalker he's wearing his influences on his sleeve, and it completely flops. Whereas I feel like Noah Baumbach with Marriage Story was wearing influences on his sleeve, but it's all, like uh, combined all these influences and had something new to say, and, and uh, yeah, f f remarkably considering like it really felt old, and I you know like in, se in the sense that I could see where he was coming from. It also felt kind of fresh. Yeah. Uh, it reminded I'm, me a lot of Kramer vs. Kramer as yeah, well. Oh, sure. yeah, so like, much. Yeah, there's, there's like, so much there. So yeah. much. And I really enjoyed that film as well. I like at the st like for the first half of that film, it was one of my favourites of the year. Mm. And then it kind of just Kramer fell vs. Away Kramer or Marriage Story? No, Marriage Story. Oh, okay, one, so one, it's not going to make your list. One thing I'll say okay. quickly before we move on, and I'm not doing reverse, you know, on this one, 
Because I love that scene where, and I know you too, or you at least liked it, Derek, uh, where uh, Adam M. Driver sings the song. Um, still in my head. Uh, Being Alive from uh, Stephen Sondheim's musical company. I saw it four nights ago I, and it's still I in really my head. I really love uh, <laughs> movies. And Howard Hawks used to always do this. Is that famous scene in Rio Bravo the night before the big shootout mm. where they just sing an entire song and it's just tangent. It's just, it's, it really has nothing to do with the plot. I mean, I guess Being Alive did, sort of did. But there's sometimes there's something so magical Magical, magical, sorry, magical about uh, um, characters just taking it aside to sing an entire song. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it reminded me of like watching these old Howard Hawks movies and it's the only uh, reference I can think of off the top of my head, but I really like it when they do that in movies and pull it off. Number three, Blakey. Uh, my number three is The Farewell. Um, mm, yep. That we, film was... We did a podcast on yeah, that. Yeah, that film was fantastic. Um, we did do a podcast on it, so... I you know don't know how much more I can say about it. I really, I think it's really important in today's day and age that people make more films about um, cultures intermixing. Um, I think that's a really important thing to be doing um, moving forward, so that we kind of understand each other more. Yeah. Uh, I think we talked about this. I'm sorry, I'm just not getting what you're saying at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about this film a lot. Um, before, so I, I don't think we need to harp on it yep. about it any more than that, really. Um, For further reference, listen to our yeah, farewell podcast. Yeah. yeah, no, it's and a good know, film. Yeah. And like, in, and in terms of what I was saying earlier about, you know, I'll just take my time to go back to Marriage Story. Um, I really loved Marriage Story at the start that it was kind of telling both sides of a really hard um, situation in telling both sides of the story. But then I think in the second half, it's, it seemed to focus too much on Adam Driver and not enough about Scarlett Johansson. I agree Johansson. with that. I agree with that. So the second half kind of let itself down a little bit in that it didn't fulfil its vision of what it seemed to suggest it was doing at the Do you start. think that's the autobiographical part coming I through for Bombax? Yeah. I think it was. Because he, d- he it, divorced from Jennifer yeah, Jason yeah, Lee. Yeah. yeah. And it smelled and it smelled of that. Which yeah. is number three, Derek. Derek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number three, Derek. My number three is a film that I very much wanted Blake to see, and I don't know if he actually did see I it. I haven't. You know what I'm going to say? Yes, yes. Okay, it's Birds of Passage. It's a film that actually had some... played it at MIF in 2018, but it didn't come to the cinemas here until 2019. It's by directed by Ciro Guerra. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. And Christina Gallego. And it's They're the guys who made uh, yeah, oh, sorry, they the made, Serpent. They made Embrace of the Serpent, which was one of Blake's top five a couple years ago. And what's so fascinating about this film is it's a, kind of an old-fashioned Colombian... Uh, old-fashioned. I mean, we've seen some versions of it, like Narcos and things like that, but a, sta- a, a story of the Colombian drug trade. But the key characters in it are from native tribes in Colombia, and you kind of see this steady loss of innocence over the course of the film from this very kind of traditional native lifestyle that gets um, gets corrupted by one guy's realization that he has access to marijuana that he can sell to some American Peace Corps volunteers and that this kind of becomes this rapidly expanding enterprise that kind of not only brings them great riches but kind of progresses his family out of some of their native stylings and but there's still all this this wisdom um related to you know you know you know kind of like the what would be like dreaming concepts in australia in australian um, na- natives uh, about you know you know spirits contacting them and advising them on the wisdom of what they're doing or not and so, th- so most of the characters realize that they're having this loss of of innocence um and uh there's like they're kind of powerless to stop it and the, the thing and it so it, it has that aspect but it also plays just this really interesting decades spanning crime story about you know 
the drug trade and the families that are involved in the rivalries. And it's just, it's got, it's, it's just made at such a high level of quality. It just really, really stuck with me. Well, Birds of Passage is my number one that I regret not seeing this okay, year, yeah. except me too. I think there's going to be another one that pops up on your top five later on that maybe you saw at Miff that I wasn't able to see okay, yep. uh, because it hasn't been out yet. But yes. yeah, Birds of Passage, I, I went to see it a couple of times or I, I had intentions of seeing it, I just didn't see it. Yes. And my number three is Parasite. We've talked about it a lot, so I won't go on. And now I'm Uno reversing you. Number two. Oh, you are Uno reversing well, I'm me. I'm wild carded. <laughs> it okay, go Blakey, I like it. <laughs> do, you, do you know, m- my, kids, my kids have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles version of Uno that we play. You know, there's a duo now, a duo or some. That's like, sacrilege. Yeah, I know. Get out of here, Blake. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm leaving. <laughs> he lives here. Uh, <laughs> so it's my number two already, and that is the film that you were just referring to, which I considered excluding because it hasn't had a theatrical release yet. Ah, go uh, for it. In any country, as far as I can tell. But it is a film called Vivarium, which I saw at MIFF. Um, and I'll not tell you too much about the setup because it ha- has a lot of great surprises, but let's just say there's a dystopian aspect to it. It involves um, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. They're the pr- it's basically a two-hander with them. Don't I'll you reckon she looks like an Imogen Poots? Sure, she yeah. does. Yeah. Like the Imogen <laughs> side of things or the Poots side of things? Both. <laughs> yeah, she, like you look at her and you're like, like, you do look like someone who should be called Imogen Poots. Not the only do film. Do I look like a Blake Kurtz? No, you look like an Imogen Poots. <laughs> So much. Heaps. She's beautiful. Then. <laughs> it's not the only film that Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg starred together in the, together this year. They also were in the film called The, uh, the Art of Self-Defense, yep. which I didn't like so much. Um, but anyway, it's uh, directed by an Irish director named Lorcan Finnegan. And I think Great it's going to be one of the best films of 2020. Great name. Yeah, yeah. And it's it. I'll just say that it involves a married couple who are considering buying their first home. Um, they're kind of... Uh, they're, they're kind of opposed to domesticity in most respects, but they kind of go on this tour of a house. Domesticity. Domesticity. Yeah, um, domesticity. And let's just say it doesn't go as they expected it to go, and, and, and it goes on from there. So uh, I won't say too much about it, except that I was absolutely in the thrall of this film, and I just thought it was incredible. I really wanted it to... to it, it may have been my number one except for the fact that I, ha- I felt like I had to, to, to debit it a little bit because it wasn't actually released this year, and I like to ca- be, kind of be having in conversation with other film fans and critics. Mm. So I bumped it down to number two, but it could legitimately be my number well, one. Well, we'll do a podcast on it when it comes out. Okay. Yeah. And I'll yeah. listen to it. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to listening as, as, as you know, as a fan. There we go. You want like all the ads we're going to put in. <laughs> 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 but if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get you ad-free versions of the like show. The ads. <laughs> All right, Blackie, number, um, two. number two is brought to you by Big M. That's right. Big <laughs> M is the thirst you can clench. I don't know. Anyway. The thirst you can <laughs> clench. <laughs> I clench thirsts all the time. <laughs> with the mill. Oh, I'm out. All right. Bye. God, that's going to stick with me for a while. <laughs> Big M's not going to endorse us any further, unfortunately. I blew it. Uh, my number two is still... The thirst clencher. <laughs> My number two is still an eight out of ten, which I you know just want to note that as yeah. like, you know really wasn't a good year for you, was yeah. it? Yeah, not no. really. Um, but you know, I I don't you know I haven't I don't see a lot of like you know myth stuff like yeah, you guys yeah, do. Yeah. So like I kind of like I don't either. I give Derek all my tickets because I got to go see the short films for IGFM. Yeah, so he yeah. cleans up on all the feature stuff. Uh, yeah, dirty dough. <laughs> my number two is one I watched just recently: uh, Official Secrets. Uh, Interesting. I, yeah, I, well, we because he Gareth, uh, what's his name? No, 
I don't know. I don't really know that much He's about that. He's the guy who film. made Eye in the Sky, which I, I gave 10 out of 10 to. Yeah, I know, I know what film you're talking about, yeah. but I don't know the director's Sorry, name. Sorry, go on, Blakey. Yeah. Yeah. So, Official Secrets. Um, what is his name? It's Gavin I, Hood. Gavin Hood, yeah. Yep. Similarly okay. to Jaws, talk, you know, when he talked about going to the drive in, I went to this film after uh, I, you know, after I worked on this short film that I produced over a two day period, and then it was, you know, a big kind of end to the film, and I was just like, I was just driving home. I was like, screw it, I'm just going to go to the movies. And this was the film that I saw. And like I just went, on, I went for a ride, and I loved it. Um, I saw it on your recommendation. It's yeah. about like a whistleblower, right? Or something. Yeah, yeah. it's a true story yeah. about a uh, whistleblower in Britain. Um, and it, halfway through it, I had re- a really strong reaction to it in a similar way that I did to watching um, a Thin Blue Line. In oh yeah, I was just kind of like our systems. Uh, flawed and fucked, and I kind of don't want to be. Ah, they're society. fine, mate. Get with the program. Uh, Assimilate. Yeah, it's <laughs> an incredible story. It's a true story um, about a woman who um, decides that you know she keeps government secrets and she translates them to other people, uh, and she comes across some information about um, the Americans trying to rig an election um, so that they. This is pre going to war with Iraq. Okay. Um, and so it's like. This well, pre-slave and during. Yeah, yeah, so this was this was like a big thing in in terms of getting the public on side um, to take down Hassan Hussein, which was an incredible kind of thing to watch and something I was strongly unaware of. Not a big Kira Knightley fan. Mm. Thought she was fantastic in this. Very big Ray Fiennes fan. He was fantastic in this. Just classic Ray Fiennes. Cool. Big Brother loves you, Blakey. I'm good. My number two two is The Farewell. Mm. We've talked about it. It's good. Number one. Number one. Who wants to go first with number one? I'll go first. This is good. This is you you working. Yeah, actually, fuck y'all. I'm going first. Go first. 1917. Neither of you guys have seen it yet because it's not out and I'm a special person. January 9th. Cheating. No, no. So, no. so it can be in our top five my, next year. My, my Vivarium I'm doesn't even come out in January. It comes out in like March or April. Right, I'm going to just make up films. That <laughs> I haven't even been made yet. I have a problem with a lot of war films that are exciting uh, uh, and make war seem sort of semi-appealing. And I think 1917 works first as a thriller and uh, maybe second as a comment on war. Uh, and I, it reminded me a lot of Dunkirk in, in, in a way. Uh, but I... I, I, I it does bother me to sort of get so into and so excited about a war about film. And I, I've got problems with the same Private Ryan because it makes war seem perversely appealing to me. But I can't remember the last time I watched a movie and I thought, I don't know how the fuck they've done this. CGI has wow. almost robbed uh, uh, movies of their power to wow because you know how it's done. You see Thanos on screen, CGI. You see an X-Wing flying through the, sc- uh, the space, CGI. And I watched this movie, which uh, if anyone doesn't know, it's sort of done in the, the, the long Mendes, take right? thing. Sam Mendes, yeah. yeah. And it's done in that long, long take thing like Birdman, where, like the fake long takes. And I remember in Birdman, they'd go into a dark corridor or they'd zoom yeah. in on a black jacket and you'd be like, that's where they've cut. And there's, there's a few of these in 1917, but there are so many bits where I was like, well, surely they've cut by now. And I didn't know how they did it. Mm-hmm. And also, as, as, as much as it works as a thriller, which was bothering me for a while, it never makes war seem appealing in any way and I said there's been some criticism about this movie that it's like this video game there they're running from you know peril to peril this Spielbergian kind of like oh now they're in this trouble but I think if you watch 1917 as a microcosm of the war in general because yes it's told in real time but I don't think you're ever meant to take the movie as real time okay. because 
the story is about these guys who get this mission to go uh, deliver a message to another battalion uh, to save them from a trap. Oh, sorry, sorry, from a from an ambush. And I think, yeah, if you're viewing it as actually this would actually happen and they would run into this many things, uh, this many problems along the way, then you're going to have some problems with realism. But I think time in it's 1917 is an impossibility. And as soon as you relax into the fact that it's meant to stand for a broader sense of war and broader, th- like, you know, like a whole lot of stories condensed into one, mm. uh, then you can appreciate it a bit more. A- a- and the single take, as much as an immersive thing is kind of messed up when it comes to, to, to war, I mean, single takes I- in the trenches was uh, conclusively proven as an amazing way to establish space and sure. stand yep. st- our paths of glory. And this movie, yeah, it, it, it's flawed. There are flaws. But I, I honestly, I had my mouth just wide open the entire way through. Wow. And, uh, and what bums me out is I don't think you'll like it as much as me. <laughs> I think because you I will don't like, like Dunkirk. Him. Yeah, possibly. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it did remind me a lot of Dunkirk. That's why Jaws is leaving this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> He's never gotten no, over still it. Can't convince you about I, four years ago. I, yeah, and yeah. Was it uh, no, it was it two. Ago? I think. <laughs> I, I think it w- another astonishing thing, apart from the technical achievement of uh, of 1917, is it's as good as it is. Because when you make a film like this, that is ostensibly like a whole lot of single takes strung together you lose those cheats that filmmakers get like leaving things on the on the editing floor mm. and nothing has been done on a scale like this like rope was set in one apartment uh birdman was you know in his theater and its immediate surrounds and this movie like it's incredible that it's as good as it is considering it, like it's incredible anyway and the fact that it's as good as it is and they were robbed of so many cheats that filmmakers normally get uh, it, 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 i i I actually liked Dunkirk more than 1917, so I don't want to actually talk it up too much. Uh, and I shouldn't talk it up too much because... No, no, talk it up. If you, it's if all right. Because no, no, it, cause it, was, it wasn't even... It, like, like when we're talking about our favourite films over the... Like, since we've been doing this podcast, yeah. it wouldn't even come close. But that's not like... Uh, like that's the th- I think that's the big thing about film criticism is that you, like, even though we're, talk- we're talking about the merits of the film by themselves like comparing films to other films is it is, is impossible to yeah. us because they're, it they're, is but, they're but didn't be, been designed I, for different I, I guess also like i wouldn't want to like people to like be going into this thing and hear me talking about this way and expect this kind of like wow well he like this stuff so it's going to be better than that and it's it's just look anytime you tell somebody it's your number one film of the year you're going to set yeah, their expectations yeah, too high I, I, and, and I, guess right. I i went and expecting you know, i'm like, excited i'm not even my, my two favorite sam mendy's movies are a jarhead and revolutionary road and they're not that beloved i mean jarhead is like people have some serious problems with that uh yeah. and revolutionary road i always find fascinating is this like very grim movie that is somehow incredibly watchable uh almost in spite of itself and 1917 like oh it's oh yeah like uh i'd I guess as a technical achievement and, and as a war film um, and, and as a thriller mm. uh, and, and as a, the first movie in many years that I just didn't know how they made it. it, it yeah, it, it really... Um, Terrific. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see it. And it sounds like you know, it takes you on the experience of war, which... It's well, that's the, it does. That it does. It takes you on the experience of war without making war seem appealing. Exactly. You know, you see like Saving like Private like Ryan. Dun- so Dunkirk, essentially. Well, so, so, <laughs> so, but so even, like that, even they, those feel like movies. If you're fo- yeah. following one protagonist through the trenches and mm. they're running, you got you got to feel what that experience uh, was like. And I think to me, Dunkirk, I, I like you know that I really really care. Like I think that movie's amazing. Uh, but this film, you know, Saving Private Ryan, when you get to know the crack sniper and you care more about him, and uh, and it almost this is a kind of adventure story. 
this film has has flaws. There, there are you know like moments where I was like, eh. but what it, there are, there are some films where their accomplishments are so great that they make me not care about their flaws, even when their flaws are glaring. And 1917 is a flawed movie, but to me it's a 10 out of 10 because what it does well. Uh, yeah, it does really well. And here I thought you weren't going to talk about your picks. <laughs> I can't wait to get this guy off the podcast. Jeez. Aren't we over on I time? Like My goodness. We actually Blake, do you want to go next or do you want um, me to go next? Yeah, I'm happy to go next. Okay. Uh, my number one is actually this uh, This film really stood out. I love this film. Don't know if it's a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, yeah. but I fucking loved it. It was Midsummer. Uh, mm. Midsummer. That was. I'm with you for the first hour. Oh no, nah, that yeah. film for me was just. It was exploring a side of human nature that we don't often explore anyway in Western culture. Kind of like the farewell, oh, a lot like the farewell in, in exploring death. But this was something. This was something deeper. Like this was like this is kind of like what our minds do with with death and and, and suicide and, and and faith and whether it was meant to be. Like it just really poured all of that stuff into a really interesting film um, that really just did something incredible for, for me and it's still not something that I can articulate quite well what it was but it, it had a profound effect. I can tell you I can't get the, the visceral horrible sound of Florence Pugh crying at the beginning out of my mind. She rules that actress. She's Florence so Pugh great. is awesome. She's awesome in everything. She's yeah. awesome. But that's the sa- the scene at the beginning, and oh. when she when she when she's sitting in her boyfriend's lap oh. after what happens, great, and yeah. the noise that she's making as she cries. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that Ari Aster does best because he got. Um, uh, Tony Collette to cry in amazing ways in his previous film. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, yeah, I I think. When I when I was watching that film, the first hour of it, I was like, "This is the fucking best." Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it breaks down a bit after that for me. Well, but, it's, it's like, interesting because yeah. people are like, "So I didn't love that film. Maybe I love the first fifteen minutes." But some people re- seem to respond to it so much. Uh, and, and I remember a few years ago, uh, it was "Call Me by Your Name." It you it either hit you or you were like, "Yeah, I, like." And I yeah. feel like Midsummer is hitting certain people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think probably with Call You Call Me by Your Name, it's like it probably explored a lot of people's idea of love. Yeah. And this probably explored a lot of my ideas about death. Yeah. Mm. Um. And, and and it really was like I yeah I really can't talk more like it's just really hard to articulate this. And I I can kind of understand what what you're talking about because in the first hour it was this wide world that had been created, and then I think they went into these caricatures. But that is also a deliberate thing because uh. these are caricatures that exist within storytelling and storytelling that has existed since the dawn of time. What? And so it's like that was just beautifully done. Well, what I think was lost in the second half and what I think is so amazing in the first half is her struggling directly with her grief over her parents. Oh. And the scene where she uh. starts to do mushrooms and she, she has the freak out. At, like at first she's grooving with it and then she starts to freak out and she has to walk away. Like that was when I was with that moment in the movie, I was like, I am with this movie 150 percent like and then it still has some crazy moments and some really, really unforgettable moments. So I I really respect that choice. Well, That's when it goes off the deep end and it really explores individual ideas of of death. And and that's what. Yeah, it's just it's incredible. All right. I get to finish up. Exciting. Um, My number one is is my first time in a couple of years that I didn't give it a nine out of ten on my first viewing. Although my second viewing definitely kicked it up. It is Parasite, which we discussed 
on its own podcast, and John discussed as his number three choice. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to give it a few, a few a minute or so here. I just... Let's cut him off. <laughs> I do feel a little bit like I'm uh, following the crowd here, although I saw the film before most critics did. But oh, uh, really? This is the shit so you can you expect guys. when I leave, guys. So did you guys. We all saw it in June. It didn't come out in the U.S. until September. And it is just phenomenally made film with this great change of tone halfway through that has interesting things to say about the haves and haves nots, has the structure of kind of like a, a heist film in the first half and kind of like a Hitchcock thriller in the second half and just continually keeps you guessing. And it just confirms to me that Bong has emerged as one of the world's great filmmakers who awesome. puts out a... Bong Zagret. Who puts out... <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, a uh, Korean director, who puts out um, an absolute... Um, unique film every time he makes one. It is and has stuff you've never seen in it before. And I would say most of his films are at least an 8 out of 10 for me. And I, there's a couple 10s in there. But I just wanted him to explore everything more. Go deeper. That was yeah, you were, you were, the, you were the, the dissenting voice on that one. Well, it's, I, But I got to say, look, it's, for me, it's, it's just a total home run. And, and it was my number one of the year. I would like to make uh, start on my um, uh, bottom three. I'm going to go three? quick. Bottom three. No, Sorry, bottom one. one. Oh, yeah. uh, my least favorite movie of the year was Terminator Dark Fate. I hated what? it. I, I absolutely it. hated it. I, I thought it was that. an absolute piece of dross. Derek, you giving it an 8 out of 10 blows my mind. You hate three. it for the same reason that you hate the new Star Wars movies. No, I hate it for fan service. specific reasons. Uh, Tell us. No, because uh, oh. I, I, I haven't thought about it. I haven't Did you see it, Blake? I hate I it. I have not seen it. I, I cho- it's I, so entertaining. I chose to skip it because I thought it would be a piece of poop. Blakey. Look, mine was this film until last night, and then I think it's been switched for. Oh, you saw your worst film last night. No, well, yeah, I thought <laughs> I thought I thought it was the Nightingale, um, which I watched with John, which was an Australian film about. Oh, I didn't realize you were so negative about oh, that. We man, did a podcast it, on that yeah, too, man. Like, yeah. just that was stuck in that forest way too long. Yeah. It really hurt. But then last night. Star Wars, sorry. Star Wars is the worst. My man. The worst film of the year. Worst film of the year. Oh, my goodness. Like, It'd be close for me. The whole concept yeah. of Palpatine just coming back, and he was never alluded to in the other films. Mm. It just, and then that whole but thing. But those deaths, the Star Destroyers burst out of the planet. Oh, and I, that hurt. <laughs> and the whole prophecy of, like, you're the Empress. Oh, no, actually, it was all a ploy, so I am now revived. It's kind of like, it felt like, mm. when I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play, like, with my Lego, Lego toys and, like, create these awesome stories with them and then and what i would ultimately do is come to an ending and it was a natural ending and then it was just like oh no but let's keep going and i knew even as a kid that this was a mistake because i had drawn a conclusion to the story i had created and it's just like they've just done that on a huge level purely to make money and the fact that with the hand solo film they just pulled out on all these other films that they wanted to make just spoke volumes of how they felt about the franchise. Like, they just didn't give a fuck. And that really, really, like, annoys me and hurts me for something that I grew up with. And it's not just this. It's like Jurassic Park. I could... Terminator. I could go on a fucking rant. Like, the only one that's still pure to me right now is Back to the Future because they haven't touched it. And I am so goddamn worried that they're going to touch it. Well, it's got to be any day now. Oh, yeah. God. We're running out of time. Derek, well, last I had, a, I had a, something considerably less... Um, uh, 
Blockbuster as my my worst film. It was for a while I was considering giving it to Beach Bum, which is uh, the latest. I film haven't seen that, but I'm still excited to see that. From um, uh, Harmony Corinne, who made one of my favorite films of the decade in Spring Breakers, Spring Breakers and like that's that, part yeah. of the reason why I ultimately didn't. Look at all my shit. I, I hated Beach Bum. Matthew McConaughey's character is one of the most annoying characters I've met in film in five years but i ultimately decided five years who was after that oh, i don't know but That's ultimately i decided to give him a little bit of a spring breakers boost and give my worst film to stuber uh, oh, Stuber sucks. Maybe the, that's my worst. The sorry. film, the film yeah, with Stuber was so bad. The, the, the great sorry, comedic. I'm pairing. retracting mine. Stuber <laughs> fucking sucked. Kumail Nanjiani and Dave Bautista, both of whom I like in most of their projects, yep. just awful oh, in this film yeah. about a guy driving around a cop who had eye who had LASIK, so he couldn't see properly, and he's on trying to catch a drug dealer. Every joke in it is. Awful. Yeah, that the buddy sad. stuff is stupid. It's just a terrible film. <laughs> Fuck you, Stuber. <laughs> okay, guys. I'm just going to quickly say uh, this is my last real good podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Blakey. Thank you, John. It's been an absolute pleasure doing with this you, and uh, we're really going to miss you. So, uh, and, and likewise, you're welcome back anytime. No. Anytime. You're coming back. <laughs> yeah. And, if you want to do a guest appearance like guest every appearance, month, you know, you'll never see me again. <laughs> and thank you, Derek, as well. Thank you, and it has been my distinct pleasure. This is a real good podcast. It's my absolute honor to uh, pass this on to uh, Blake, Curtis, and Derek Armstrong. You'll be hearing from them. Uh, but we'll still be hearing from you on the Real Good website and the Real Good uh, Film Festival. Isn't that correct, John? Yeah. <laughs>